These are Nebraska corn farmers. They work in acres, not hours, harvesting the energy and climate solutions the world needs. We are proud to stand with you. The success of tomorrow's soy industry depends on the actions we take today. The future is here, and the time to move is now. Market Journal, television for agricultural business decisions, is a presentation of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Well, thanks so much for joining us today on Market Journal. I'm Bryce Duskin. It is hard to believe, but we are already nearing the halfway point for the month of October. On today's show, we're going to be discussing what's happening in Washington, D.C. Notably, the farm bill has expired. We'll also get some tips when it comes to moving cattle with a round stockmanship instructor. His name is Kurt Pate. We'll get into those stories coming up here in a moment. But first, we begin with a harvest update. For this week's In the Field update, we're visiting now with Quentin Keneally, who's harvesting in eastern Nebraska near Tekema. Quinn, we appreciate you joining us. Tell me a little about your, your operation before we get into the nuts and bolts of harvest. Hey, yeah, glad to be here. Uh, fifth generation farmer on the east coast of Nebraska here on a family farm. We uh, farm east of Highway 75 in Burke County, Nebraska, and we're currently on soybeans. Okay, currently on soybeans. How are, how's the harvest going for you at this point? Percentage-wise, you've been spending quite a bit of time when it comes to the soybeans versus corn? Yeah, yeah, our corn was a little wet. We tried some out of first rain. I think it was about a week and a half ago to two weeks. And uh, so we've been chipped. It was a little wet yet. So we jumped back into soybeans and trying to chip away at those. And we're about three quarters done with soybeans at the moment. And I know as uh, you and I catch up here Wednesday afternoon, you're, you're trying to avoid some rain. That sounds like it's going to be moving through the area here shortly, isn't it? Yeah, yep, yep. We've been begging for them all summer. And now we're kind of racing against them here at harvest, trying to get what we've done, get done what we can. But uh, we need the moisture, helps with fire protection, and get stocked up for next year, I guess. So we'll make do. Yeah, as we look back at the past growing season, how, how was your area? I know a lot of areas were dry across the state of Nebraska. How about for you guys at your operation? Yeah, we're very dry. We, uh, we're primarily irrigated, so we pumped a lot more than usual. Probably, I think we're 8 to 10 inches in uh, rainfall, a little short. So we tried to make up for that with pivots and tried to keep up and... You can really show us in the corn, but the beans, beans is kind of all over the place. So I'd say average to just a little bit above there. Yeah, it seems like that's been a theme of, of the past, uh, I guess, this harvest season, uh, kind of spotty yields uh, depending on the fields you're in. So how much longer do you think you'll be on, on soybeans before switching over to corn, Quentin? Uh, we had another combine come in to try to help whip up some soybean acres. So we're going along pretty good. Uh, about two or three days, we could probably be pretty close to done with them. Uh, just our efficiency and uh, keep if we can keep up it'll help a lot a lot but still a long ways to go on the corn side so yeah how's the harvest been for you I know weather uh, rain showers moved through oh, maybe a couple of weeks ago at this point but besides that pretty good weather in eastern Nebraska hasn't it been yeah yeah we went through that real warm spell and it sure was hot and the, this fall weather really seems nice at the moment 
Well, uh, before you get back into uh, the corn side of things, I know we kind of a time to reflect on the past growing season and the challenges and opportunities it brought for you. As you look back on it, kind of how are you going to remember this year when it comes to soybeans, Quentin? Oh, they're just kind of a funny plant. It's hard to get a read on them. So uh, seems like our heavy ground was above average, but then our high producing ground was just a little bit down. So I think that's just, it comes down to dryness and how dry it was through the summer. So seeing a lot of that. And then uh, with our irrigation, we ran into a lot of disease and kind of stem rot and some other stuff in there too, that helped uh, reduce the yields on the bean side, I think. So it's kind of a catch 22. You just try to pump the water onto it, but you can get too much in spots and beans can really be affected by it. Mm -hmm. Well, I appreciate you joining us from uh, your combine cab, as our viewers can see on today's broadcast. What's the best way to kill time, help help things go by uh, in a quick manner during the day, Quentin? Oh, snacks are always good. And then uh, <laughs> keeping up on social media helps a little bit. And then uh, the beans are kind of just buried a lot. So you're kind of up and down with the reel a lot. So actually, it kind of time flies by pretty fast. I'll give you the final word. What else do you want to share with us when it comes to our in the field update, how things are going for uh, your region of the state? Oh, yeah, just uh, stay safe out there, take your time, check things over, and travel safely from field to field and get her done, I guess. Yep. Good thoughts, Quentin. We appreciate you joining us here on Market Journal. Certainly wish you and your family a safe rest of the harvest season. As we take a look at the latest crop progress report as published by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, harvest progress in Nebraska rolling on with the average pace. As of this past week, soybean harvest was estimated at 54% complete. Corn was pegged at 32% picked. Up next, late this summer, Nebraska Extension held its annual summer grazing conference in Kearney. This, year event, this year's event featured an informative field tour that took place near Gibbon. During this field tour, participants had a first-hand look at some of the best practices when it comes to handling cattle on pastures, as well as utilizing a portable corral system. Marker Journal was on hand to bring you an up-close and personal look at that event. Our focus today is going to be on pasture handling and settling and working through a, a design like this. So um, I want you guys to ask a lot of questions, challenge our clinicians, and uh, I think uh, I think you'll at the end of the day be really pleased with, with some of the things that you picked up today. Yeah, animals, cattle, horses, sheep, goats, whatever we're grazing, they're a thinking, feeling, breathing animal. And we as humans, if we can understand that, understand their world and the things that make them tick and get them to do things for us through proper pressure, then we have a relationship with the animal that's positive, both in a human standpoint, the animal standpoint, and quality of life for everybody, the consumer included. I'm gonna, I'm gonna approach these cattle at an angle that I think is appropriate to get them to go to their, le to their left, my right, our right, and they're gonna go down and hook up with these other cattle. There, now you see we got, we got movement started. See, we got movement started here with the cattle. I'll let them move on. We gave them a little hesitation. We have the other cattle coming in. So we'll just let them have a moment to move away from our pressure. We continue to have increased focus on stockmanship. As Kurt said, it's not necessarily more important now than it ever was. But we haven't taught it and groomed it um, in the same way that we did generationally before. So our workforce has changed and it's really important to make sure that we're continuing to intentionally provide opportunities to increase our skill set in this space. 
If I keep my body moving back and forth like this, that, that doesn't create near as much pressure as yelling or slapping my arms or something, but it just creates a nice pressure. We'll get some movement started. We really don't care what direction they're gonna go. We don't want them to go back that way, but we'll try to just get some movement started where they all just string out and, and feel like they can walk away from this water. One of the things that I wanted to touch on is space, right? So there are guidelines, um, ag guidelines related to the square foot allowance per animal when we think about either building corrals or putting up portable corrals. That's gonna be driven a little bit obviously by size of the animal. Ag guidelines say that we want an average square footage allowance in a corral of 15 to 20 square feet. The demonstration today was pretty much about handling cattle in a pasture grazing system and bring them to the corral low stress and get them in the corral in a way that when we work the cattle, they'll accept whatever we're giving them, whether it be medications, vaccinations, anything that we're doing with them, they'll get better every time we do it, put them in the corral, and then whatever we're doing to them works and they get better each time we do it. A lot of folks think that just because you shake it a bucket and the cattle come to you, that they're, they're gentle. And they are gentle, but as soon as you change the routine and apply pressure, they get nervous or scared or, or they won't work for you. So getting the, having the ability to drive an animal and having them understanding pressure and moving away from pressure and then learning from the release of pressure, that is a much, that was a, a very good method along with the total drawing. An animal's mind can only be one place at a time. So if they're only thinking about the feed, they're not thinking about your pressure. They're thinking about getting that feed. So they really don't learn from the situation, they learn from the feed. So we're trying to teach animals to take pressure and work better from it. You go ahead and leave us out. Well, that is just one of many events that Nebraska Extension hosts each year. If you're interested in keeping up to date with the Extension calendar, I invite you to head on over to the Market Journal website. It is marketjournal.unl.edu. Up next, we check on the latest when it comes to the markets. Joining us in the studio on Wednesday was Doug Simon with Trados. Here's our conversation. Lots of combines moving across the corn and soybean fields in the region. What are you hearing? Uh, a lot of variability out in the fields? That's what I'm seeing talking to farmers. I've Grew up in Cass County and some decent bean yields over there, but you go to other areas in the state, we had a lot of variability in rainfall and even irrigated beans seem to be variable this year based on when it was planted, what the hybrid, what the maturity was. So we're seeing probably a lot more variability in the bean yields this year than we are corn. And harvest wise, we're about 34% done on corn, which is about three points above normal. And beans are about 43% done, which is about six points above normal. A lot more, you know, beans have been they usually, you know, to cut them, you know, a lot of guys over here in Cass County will start with corn, go to beans, and then come back to corn. Irrigated areas, they start cutting beans right away. And so they've pretty much finished those up this week, it seemed like, and going back to the irrigated corn. Mm -hmm. So that's really what's been, they're working on right now. And then we've got big rain, potentially wind projected for the next three days. So we'll have to see, there's a lot of concern about that wind coming up with a lot of those ears that are out there 
hopefully we won't lose that, but the rain would be welcome, but they have been moving that a little bit north during the week. It's maybe not quite as heavy as what it was earlier in the week. Yeah, nobody wants to see down stocks this time of year, that's for no, sure. No. Well, we can't have this conversation without taking a look at the weekly activities, especially overseas, when you add in uh, what's what's happening. I guess your thoughts on how the markets, particularly the corn and soybean markets, we talk about, about them might be impacted. Well, the big question in the Middle East is always oil, and I've been watching oil for a lot of years at my age. <laughs> And, but the thing is a commodity though, is that those commodities, even when there's other wars in the Middle East, that the oil continues to flow. There might be some short-term volatility in the markets, but you know, oil was at a pretty high level here two weeks ago, up above 90 and we had fallen out of bed. And then when the news of those attacks came out, I mean, oil started trading on Sunday last, you know, this earlier this week, and it was, you know, three, $4 higher and then Corn was higher both on Saturday or Sunday night and, and on beans as well. And then 10 o'clock on Monday morning, you know, we'd been higher earlier and then fell, you know, fell off on the corn and the beans, kind of turning to their trends, you know, lower. So, uh, you know, there's there's just a lot of uncertainty in the world right now between Ukraine and Russia and, you know, what happens with Iran and there's other also China and Taiwan. There's a lot of different you know, things that are kind of boiling right now. Plus the Speaker of the House resigned last week. So I was talking a little bit to you about the bond market and we had fallen 5% on the bond market last week on the disruption and the worry there. And then now with the flight to safety, with the war going on there, you know, bonds are back up 5%, which is as bonds go higher, those interest rates go lower. So those are, there's a lot of volatility, probably more in from a, a size of a market, the bond market is a huge market and that's, kind of been a reflective of that volatility there. Well, back here when it comes to corn and soybeans, I want to get your thoughts, you know, uh, when we talk to markets, we're often talking about pre-harvesting marketing plans, and a lot of a lot of folks at this point will have that said, but, but for unsold bushels, mm -hmm. as those are being harvested across uh, the U.S., what are your thoughts on, on keeping corn or soybeans in the bin? I suppose the other option is to haul it to town. Those are, yeah, good questions. Uh, at this point, irrespective of futures, you know, when you go to move your corn or beans, it's looking at basis and carry. So right now there's 15 cents of uh, carry in the corn market from the December to the uh, out to the uh, March contract. So the December is trading at 488 and the March is you know 15 cents higher. The beans are 30 cents you know higher out there in the deferreds to anywhere out to 45 cents higher all the way out into May than the nearby. But relatively speaking toward their value of the crop, I mean that 15 cents on 488 corn is more significant than the bean carry. So if you're gonna carry something, or store it, the corn market pays you a little more carry. So we're looking at you know storing those beans now, or store, excuse me, storing corn because of that. And also, where's the relative basis levels going to go? Um, you know, we're a five under to kind of five over market right now. We were 30 over here just in the last few weeks at say Cargill Blair, um, ADM Columbus. But as more of that corn start hit the market, the basis actually falling apart a little bit. But if you look at the group three rail bids or you go out to December, there's an improvement in the basis levels as you get out there. So there's gonna be some returns to storage. However, I just talked about the bond market and those interest rates. When you look at operating notes that are 8% to 9%, you have to really think seriously about storing those commodities because the money you could put in the bank and stop interest or if you could earn interest you know, by putting that money in the bank is significant now compared to the last several years. When you think about where those interest rates were, 
and where they've rallied to, there's, that's a huge consideration. So if you're just going to sit in the bin and speculate, Jim Kendrick always used to say that it's, you know, it's cheaper to buy it back on the board, whether it's corn or beans, and speculate on paper than it is, especially where interest rates are now, just to speculate on what's going to happen on higher or lower futures prices. Thanks to Doug for joining us in the studio this week to discuss the markets. Coming up next week, we'll be joined by Jeff Peterson. He is the president of Heartland Farm Partners. As always, we invite your questions here on the show. So if you have one for Jeff, be sure to email us and I'll be sure to pass that question along. Well, for the new University of Nebraska Lincoln Animal Science Department head, Deb Van Overbeck, taking her new position was quite literally coming home. The Ashland, Nebraska native has been working as an administrator for the past several years down at Oklahoma State University, but she recently came back to Lincoln. You can read about the new department head's journey back to the Cornhusker State in the October issue of the Nebraska Farmer. Well, let's check in with Nebraska Extension Ag Climatologist Eric Hunt. Eric, it's been especially chilly in the overnight hours lately. What are you watching, though, when it comes to weather in the week ahead? Well, thanks, Bryce. It's going to be a little bit cool this weekend just in general, and it's been October. I think the cool nights are more or less just kind of here to stay, so I think we should all just get used to it. Let's start about taking a look at the U.S. drought monitors. So we did see some introduction of abnormal dryness in Dundee and Chase counties, but we did see some improvement in drought in Sherman and Webster County. Uh, again, we still have about 45% of the state in drought. That's about where we've been for about the last month. Uh, in terms of uh, rangeland conditions, veg dry shows that conditions are generally very good west of 100th Meridian. Uh, a bit poor as we get in the central part of Nebraska, but only really portions of Garfield and Loop County are showing up here as having any real significant stress on range in the you know, more cattle country of Nebraska. In terms of precipitation, so we did pick up some decent precipitation Wednesday morning across parts of southeastern Nebraska with a warm front. And then we had some significant precipitation across parts of north central northeastern Nebraska on Thursday morning. Now, most of this is definitely welcome, but uh, this any rain observer in northeastern Wheeler County, uh, 7.39 inches of moisture uh, in a 24-hour period ending Thursday morning. Uh, rain is good, but we don't need that kind of rain. In terms of soil moisture, uh, some of this out in western Nebraska probably is a little bit uh, overdone in terms of the dryness, but uh, the point here is that we still have uh, a good ways to go to recharge a lot of the root zone. Um, the rain that we've had in the last 24 hours is definitely helping here in northeastern Nebraska, uh, but again, we still got a little bit ways to go before we have things really in good shape before we go into the winter. Speaking of winter, we did have our first light freeze in parts of uh, north central western Nebraska. So anywhere you see a green dot here means we dipped down to 28 degrees or colder uh, at some point last weekend. And even more of the state dipped down to 32 or a little bit colder. So that even includes a lot of northeastern Nebraska. And a couple of spots down here in southeastern Nebraska did hit 32. Notice so that most of this Highway 6 corridor, though, we did not manage to go below freezing. We kind of had a few mornings where we were in the mid-30s. In terms of the week ahead, we're going to be relatively cool this weekend, not historically cold, but temperatures will be mostly in the 50s for most of the state. Uh, we are likely going to see temperatures below freezing across the western half of the state on Sunday morning and Monday morning. And if you live in the eastern portion of the state, I would pay close attention to the forecast Sunday night. If things get relatively calm, there is a chance that uh, some of these low temperatures that are forecast might be a bit colder than, than this. Uh, we will see some upper-level ridging returning on Monday, so that should mean warmer conditions. And by Tuesday, I think most of the western half of the state, even probably even getting into uh, parts of south-central, southeastern Nebraska, should be back up around the low 70s. A cold front will move through the state uh, Tuesday night and Wednesday. That will bring a chance of precipitation. There's not a lot of moisture to work with here, so I, I think while everybody has a chance of rain, I don't think anybody's going to get more than about a quarter of an inch. Uh, so I don't think it's going to set you back too much if you're looking to get in the field. Temperatures look to moderate by next weekend. It looks like we might have very, very nice conditions for the football game next Saturday. 
Uh, in terms of the week after next, uh, CPC is showing a probably more ridging aloft across uh, most of the western and central United States. That should keep things relatively warm, so most of the state was favoring above average conditions. So I would anticipate uh, probably a lot more days in the 60s and 70s as we head into uh, the week after this next one. And this also should be relatively dry, uh, which is probably welcome news to any of you who are trying to finish up harvest. Thanks. Back to you, Bryce. All right. Thank you very much for the update, Eric. We do appreciate it. Well, if you close your eyes on the latest happenings in Washington, D.C., you've missed a lot. Lawmakers narrowly avoided a government shutdown. Eight House Republicans joined with Democrats to oust the House Speaker. And then lawmakers were unable to pass a new farm bill before that expired at the end of September. For this week's Crop Talk, we're going to be discussing the impact of the expired farm bill with extension policy specialists. That is Dr. Brad Lupin. There's a lot to talk about, as I kind of teed up in our introduction today. Mm -hmm. The fact that the House doesn't have a leadership seems like the most pressing topic at the moment. Right. We may be on the road to a new House leader uh, based on some votes amongst the House uh, caucus, uh, the Republican caucus. That person, uh, Steve Scalise uh, from Louisiana, may have garnered the majority support of Republicans to be nominated to be House leader. Uh, we still have to watch and see, perhaps yet this week, uh, whether uh, whether he receives a majority of the entire House to assume the new speaker role. But that's only step one. We need a leader in the House to actually start to do things. There's a whole lot to do before we get to a farm bill. One of the things has to do with funding the different agencies, mm -hmm. U.S. Department of Agriculture being one of them. Bring us up to speed of what's happened up to this point and where we stand. Yeah. You know, the appropriations process has been difficult. There's a history of it always being difficult. Um, but there was uh, essentially a promise earlier in the year that all the appropriations bills would be considered in regular order, independently. Uh, the agriculture bill was moving through the House uh, uh, Appropriations Committee and really disastrously fell apart and uh, did not move forward. Uh, we ended up with an appropriations bill for ag that did reach the floor uh, and was voted down. So ag is back in line with many, many other departments waiting on appropriations. And all we accomplished before the end of September was to push the deadline off 45 days. A continuing resolution gives us more time to debate. Uh, it doesn't promise that the final answer is any easier. What was in that bill that uh, led to its uh, failure on the floor? You know, there, there are many things about the whole legislative process, and even though it's appropriations, there's oftentimes policy issues that are at the root cause of, of continuing and lingering debate. Uh, a key issue in the what was the ag and FDA appropriations bill, but a key issue related to uh, spending on, on food assistance. And that's a fight that was actually fought back when we were debating the debt ceiling back in uh, early this year. There was a compromise made. Part of the compromise may have led to Speaker McCarthy's ultimate ouster, but there was a compromise made that there would be cuts on uh, the, the food assistance side, uh, but not as severe as, as some in the uh, right wing we're, we're pushing for. Uh, that compromise got us a new debt ceiling and uh, basically kept the government functioning. Uh, but then it simply raised the ire and the next bill up was the appropriations bill and we fought over food assistance again. If we put the issue to bed in the appropriations process, we'll probably find out that we're fighting over it again on the farm bill just as soon. Well, speaking of the Farm Bill, the, the deadline that we're always told is September 30th. Well, that date right. has passed at this point. <clears throat> That's right. The 2018 Farm Bill did come and go, and it expired at the end of September. We now live in a limbo phase because there are some programs that are actually 
authorized with mandatory authority and, and funding like crop insurance and they continue on unaffected. There are some programs that are set to expire, but by virtue of the Inflation Reduction Act, some of the conservation programs were extended for several years of authority. There are some programs that we might particularly think of like commodity programs, and while the authorizing language technically ran through September, they authorize support for a crop year. And so the 2023 crop is covered. It's the 2024 crop year that's the first to be affected if we don't have new legislation. That first 2024 crop is milk that's harvested on January 1, 2024. That's the real deadline that we have to get something done. So between now and then, lawmakers have the opportunity. They could pass an extension, kind of kick the yep. can down the road. What's historical perspective tell us about the outlook for that happening, and how long yeah. would an extension be? You know, it's quite possible to imagine an extension, and it's quite possible that that's the most likely outcome at this point, because a real debate on a farm bill still has to wait in line behind the appropriations uh, process that has another 45 days or 35 days or so of, of debate yet to occur. Uh, and then the conflict in Israel, amongst other things, there are always fires, or in some cases bonfires to put out uh, in Washington, and the Farm Bill is going to have to wait its time to, to get even some consideration. Uh, that suggests that time is really running short to make substantial uh, changes or reform, uh, or to, uh, uh, to try and coalesce around uh, some compromise language. That leans more and more towards uh, the most likely plausible scenario uh, is extend current legislation. And then the debate is one, maybe two years. Uh, extend it one year and we fight over this again in the middle of an election year. Extend it two years and it's a brand new Congress uh, that will uh, take up a farm bill reauthorization. So there are big questions left, uh, but sometime between now and the end of the year, we're gonna have to figure out which path to take. Let me wrap up with this question because it's one I was discussing with somebody this week. Why every five years do we have the Farm Bill? At this point, it's been mm -hmm. debates. Why is it not longer policy? It is, uh, it is by nature, by, by uh, history, that it just seems to be every five years. It's not always perfectly every five, but five is about a number that says, um, we pass a Farm Bill for the times that we're in. And sure enough, in 2018, we passed a Farm Bill and we were in a period of time when prices were lower um, and farm incomes were a little bit less, uh, uh, you know, less prosperous than, than what our recent farm income numbers have given us. Uh, we passed the farm bill for that kind of market. Well, since that time, commodity prices have risen substantially before the recent pullback, but so have production costs. And the same safety net we passed in 2018 at these prices doesn't really protect us if prices are up here and the safety net's still here. And so periodically, every few years, whatever we passed looks outdated, time for change. And so we continually come back to new farm bill legislation uh, generally every five years. Now, if you're interested in getting some more additional thoughts from Brad on this topic, we've included one of his recent articles along with this subject. You can find that over on the Market Journal website. Well, that is all the time we have for this week's show. Before we go, a reminder, you can watch the Market Journal segments by subscribing to the Market Journal YouTube channel. For our entire Market Journal team, thanks for watching. I'm Brian Stuskid, wishing you a safe and productive week. Join Market Journal online at marketjournal.unl.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.
Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Market Journal is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources.